The Bible tells us when two or three are gathered together in His Amen. name, the Spirit is present. Amen. But it is the music that sets the Spirit upward Amen. so that we may join together and worship. Yes, We've worshiped with song. Now we turn to worship with the proclamation of His Word. Yes. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. We thank you for the united of these two congregations so that we may come together and worship as a community. You have tasked us with the mission to Floyd Ada, Texas, and Lord, I ask that as we gather together that your spirit point us in the direction that you would have us go, that you would take this light into a world, that you would give light and hope to the people of our community, and that you may bind us together as brothers and sisters like you have created us to be. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so, uh, starting the beginning of this year, I tried something new. Uh, we started reading uh, the Proverbs together. 31 Proverbs, 31 days in January. And people seem to like reading scriptures together at my community. So we started um, a New Testament journey together. And so... I've challenged the congregation at, at First Baptist to read through the New Testament together. We made book cards. You can sign up on our website, all these kind of things that you do. Uh, but one of the challenges for it was I was going to hold you accountable because I am preaching on whatever Sunday lands that day. So whatever text lands for your reading for that Sunday, uh, that's where my sermon's going to come from. Amen. You know, the, the Spirit can lead you to text, but sometimes when you're in a rut, it leads you to one of those uh, sweet spots that you can Amen. just hit a good one without having to do a lot of work. You know those sermons, because we both have them built in. Um, so the challenge for me was you have to find whatever lands that day and let the Spirit move you in the words that He has prepared for you because all, all of Scripture speaks to us and it speaks in different ways. And so as we have gathered together, it's probably important for you all to kind of know a little bit of my background. Uh, my church has heard some of this, but y'all just know me as a pastor across the street we've met some at funerals and things like that we even uh, meet during the week uh, as we drop oliver off at daycare um but you know i don't have this 30 years of ministry experience that my brother over here has my background was in construction i grew up in a construction family i went to school i got a degree in construction and i went into construction for a living that's what my first job was when me and natalie uh, we're married. We lived in Orlando, Florida, not a place to be when you don't have children. Now, when you have children, it's a different story. Uh, but we lived there, and I built houses. So if you go to Lubbock and all those neighborhoods that look almost the same, just about this far apart, I built those things. But in Orlando, Florida, in those communities. Um, as me and my wife built our faith journey together, we moved into... Um, well, we tried to follow God the best we could. It's the first time in our life that we really took ownership of our faith. We joined a small group at First Baptist uh, Orlando. Uh, my brother, when they came to visit, they called it Mickey Mouse Church. Because, I mean, it, it had multiple services, big screen TVs. You know, the pastor would dress different. If it was a traditional service, he had the suit and tie. If it, if it was the contemporary one, he'd lose his suit. And sometimes he'd have a sweater vest because he was an old guy. So how contemporary can you get? Uh, but he was a good preacher. He, he uh, ministered. But they always push small groups. Get involved with your small groups. Because whenever you're in a congregation of thousands of people, you can't grow your faith by just being in the seat. Amen. 
And so as we journeyed uh, together, the Lord moved us to Dallas, Texas. Sierra, where yet? She's right there. So she's my firstborn. She's got Texas blood. She's got certificates and paperwork to prove it. Uh, but as you remember, I was in construction those days. Uh, we went through that recession. I remember that a little while back. And so we were kind of praying for direction because, you know, being a young married couple together changes when that young married couple brings a new life into the world and you're trying to what's best to raise them. And so as we followed God and, you know, there was some, a burden laying on my heart that we needed a different direction. And, and so we prayed about those directions. Um, but, you know, we, I had a good job. My wife had a good job. She had the corner office for Hilton Hotels. I mean, corporate, corporate job, all that, and all the, the trimmings with that. Um, and as we prayed, that's when the recession started creeping in. And, and when I was in estimating at that time, I was overhead. You know what happens to overhead when companies have to start making cutbacks? You're not nearly as essential as you were a few weeks ago. And so we counted that as an answer to a prayer. And we actually relocated to Meridian, Mississippi, my hometown. And we started to raise a family. So these down this line here, they're Mississippi born and bred. They've got, got roots where I have roots. And... Um, as we lived there, uh, we knew we were there where we were supposed to, but as time goes on, there's a burden that kind of contributes to your heart where you know you're where you're at, but you're not where you're supposed to go. So this started a, a, uh, a kind of identity crisis for me to some degree because I always knew what the next step was. When I was in college, I knew what degree I was going to have. I knew what job I was going to do. I was going to go from here to here to here. Um, but actually, I was planning to do all that so I could go back and run a family business like many of our farmers here that, you know, they grew up on a farm and they know eventually they're going to go to school and come back and run a farm or these kind of things. Well, the recession hit my dad's construction business and, and um, due to some other th things, they had to close their business. So that door was closed to me. Sometimes prayers end with dead ends. But God builds on it. I had a professor in seminary tell me that God's economy is perfect. Yeah. And it's true. He builds on all of your past, all of your presence to point you towards the future that he'll have you go. And so we were there in Mississippi. I, I went on this kind of identity crisis. Um, and so this started a two-year-long period of prayer for direction. Two years. You know, I, I met these people and they said, you know, I prayed long and hard at that disciple now I went to and God laid on my heart my whole future. That didn't happen to me. Two years. May have been longer, but that's when I started counting. And so I prayed and I did something very dangerous. And that's what I've told my church. I started reading the scripture like I never read it before. And, I, and as I read it, you know, I, I was also influenced by people in my path. I met preachers who didn't start off as preachers. There's something in life, and they, they were military and retired, and God called them into ministry on several other occasions. You know, I really like those guys. I told my wife I like those guys. She said, you're not being called to the ministry. She says, no, 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 not really. <laughs> no. But then there was a problem. We're Baptists, so we can get this. Um, we kind of had a little church split. No. Have you ever had those? Have you started those? No, we haven't. <laughs> but we went through that. We had a pastor who was teaching a theology that the church wasn't comfortable with, and then it was just an ugly situation. Some people followed him. Some people just quit coming. I mean, that's the worst. 
You know, when you go through troubles in your church, why do you quit it? But some people did. And while they quit it, um, our church at the time held a very large vacation Bible school. And with about two months before this vacation Bible school would take place, that usually had around 100 kids come through. Uh, the director was part of this kind of break-off group. So my wife volunteered, as she does in many times when I tell her not to. She said, I'll, I'll be the director. And she took over with months to go. And guess what the spouse of a volunteer is? You guessed it. You are brought into it whether you ask for it or not. Amen. And so after several years of working with Vacation Bible School together, you know, meeting these people along my journey, um, there was a burden in my heart to go into ministry. And I heard a voice. I can't tell you if it was out loud, if it was in my head, but there was something calling me into ministry. Now I have a brother in the ministry. And when I was sorting out this calling, uh, one of the pastors that, that had worked with him, because my brother's a pretty decent preacher. He pastors First Baptist Waco now. Um, he said, well, you got some mighty big shoes to fill. I said, my shoes fit just fine. And they do. It's the shoes that God built me for. Because everybody has been made for a different task. And it is your past, your experiences uh, that lead you to the place that God will have you to serve. You know, I look back now, if I had any other kind of background, I don't know if I would be suited for this town. Because a boy growing up in Mississippi with pine trees, turnip greens, fried chicken, all this kind of stuff, and then God lays on your heart, I want you to go out to those flatlands where the wind blows. I would have said no. But there was too much in common. There was too much that I'd been prepared for to come this way, and thank God he had brought me here. Amen. And so as we started this new year, we started reading through the Proverbs together, and we now are reading through the book of Matthew. And kind of the way I try to start these, summer, uh, these sermons is to give you a kind of this week in review. Now, if you pick up in chapter 11 through about 17, you see in the Gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is breaking into this world in a way that it hadn't before. It is not something completely new, but it is building on all of the economy that God has built into it. So if you read through the Old Testament and you understand the prophets and Moses and Elijah and all these figures, they start coming into picture with vibrant colors as the gospel unfolds. And so in, in chapter 11, we find that John the Baptist had been arrested. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that forerunner to Jesus, that one who was to pave the way, the one who was to bring in this kingdom. And the people at the time were looking for their earthly kingdom to be set up. They were looking for the Romans to be pushed out, for them to come into the land, and that they would be that shiny city on the hill for all the world to see the glory of God in their presence. But it was to be their place, their kingdom on earth. And God had painted that picture. And he said, there will be one that come that will prepare the way. And that was John the Baptist. But John's in jail. How can you bring in a kingdom when you're arresting those who are to herald it in? And so Jesus' ministry takes off. And as Jesus is preaching, John sends some of his disciples to find out what is going on. Why is this supposed to be? So Jesus answers these disciples, is Jesus the one? Yes, sir. 
Is Jesus the one that they are to expect? This is what Jesus says. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. It is not, here is the best answer to the question you just did. Go with what you see and what you hear. He said, those who are blind have a vision to see what God is doing. He said, those who are lame have the strength in their legs to walk the path that God has laid for them. Those who are leopards who are unworthy of society are cleansed and brought in. Those who are deaf can now hear the word of God. And those who are dead in themselves are raised to have a vibrant life yet again. But as these chapters unfold, there's this ominous background. There's contention. Now, when Jesus comes to bring salvation, to bring deliverance to the people, He doesn't come just as what a friend we have in Jesus to make you feel happy about yourself. He's not this therapeutic God who came to make you feel good because with Him, He brings judgment. And He says, woe to the city who rejects those of this gospel. It would be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day that they felt judgment. But in the midst of this contention, Jesus teaches them something else. He says, this burden is great. But he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Chapter 12 talks about Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. This whole scene of Jesus and healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. It puts in comparison what religion is and what a relationship with God is. They are two completely different things. For the religious person sees Jesus as a troublemaker. As one who will stir up problems and take away what they have so built with their hands. That they have built this system. They have built this system of religion. But Jesus isn't here for your religion. He is here for a relationship. He also goes on to say, A tree is known by its fruit. What are you known as? He asked. If you're not worthy of fruit, the judge is coming and the axe is laid at the root of the tree. And then there are those that came, those those teachers, those Pharisees, those Sadducees, the ones who are in charge of the religion of the time. And they say, give us a sign, teacher. Show us that you are who you say you are. He said, you're only going to get the sign of Jonah. What was Jonah? Three nights in the belly of the whale. Swallowed up by death itself. Only to be delivered by God's word. And so as the kingdom comes in, and as the unclean spirits abound, Jesus tells them that there will be people that the demons will be cast out. That will look on the surface like they have been redeemed, that they are a place of worthiness. But the problem is, what do you do with that gift? He says, if you do nothing, those spirits will come back 
And you will be worse off than you were before. But then as the kingdom comes in, in Matthew's Gospel, we see different groups that Jesus is speaking to. We see the disciples who have been with them for a while now. We see that earlier on in chapter 10 that He sent those same disciples who is teaching as He walks along, who He's mentoring as they, they go along, but He's also given them authority and power to do the things that He was doing, to clean those to, to heal those, to raise the dead, all of that, same things that Jesus was doing, He gave them the authority to do. But then there's the crowds. There's those sightseers, those that would just come so that they may see the spectacle. Because imagine that spectacle. Jesus was, He was, He was a spectacle. As He goes around, He preaches and heals. I mean... You've seen the television shows, haven't you? The TV evangelists say, just put your hand right here, send me a $100 bill, and you too will be healed. Or the ones that bring you on the stage and bam, the Spirit is in you. This was Him. This was Jesus. I mean, He raises a dead girl to life. He tells the flute players to put up your flutes. She's just asleep. He cleanses the leopard spots, makes them whole again. Blind people can see. That doesn't happen. The lame can walk. But then to the people, he teaches them in parables. Parables are different than riddles. They tell of a truth that is greater than you can put into a simple story. They're concise, but they tell something far more than they explain. Tells them the parable of the sower. You know, a farmer goes out and casts his yeah. seeds. He loves using farmers, loves using yeah. fishermen in his stories. Talks about how some will fall along a path and some will fall along the thorns, but those other ones, they will fall in the good soil and they will take root. But then he also tells about the parable of the weeds. He says a farmer planted good seeds, but the enemy will come and they will sow the bad seeds in amongst the good that's the church. Mm-hmm. There are bad seeds sowed in among the good. That's so why y'all have that sign over there. It says, God needs fat Christians. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need people who say they're Christians. He needs somebody who is faithful. That's right. He needs Christians who are available. Mm-hmm. But above all, he needs Christians that are teachable. Yes, sir. He also talked about prophecies and parables. He talked about the hidden treasure buried in a field. There's a man who was a treasure hunter, it sounded like, and he found a treasure buried in the field. Sold everything he had to buy that field because it was worth far more than he could have on this earth. Another man found a pearl of great wealth. And he told him a saying about uh, uh, a master who, who went into his house and, and cleaned out all the old and new treasures and brought them out for all to see. This isn't something completely new. It is rooted in a faith that started back in the days of creation. For when the earth was formed, God had a plan to send Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world. But then the story transitions. We hear of the death of John the Baptist. This earthly king is set up. He gets a little bit tipsy on wine. He calls in this dancing girl, which pleases him. 
And this dancing girl said, he said, you know, whatever you want, I'll give you the, whatever this kingdom pleased him that much. He says, I want the head of John the Baptist. But because of his word that he gave to his party guests and the fact that he had made a dumb comment, he was at the mercy of this little girl who could shake her thing for him. But then he goes from there. And from a handful of fish and crackers, he feeds 5,000. Yeah. Disciples are there with him, seeing all this, and he sends them on ahead. And as they go across on that water, the seas rise mm-hmm. and beat against that boat. Jesus comes walking to them on water. Jesus is the Lord not just over healing and the disease and preaching, but even earth itself will listen to what he says. But then there are those who come up that surprise us, like the Canaanite woman, that outsider, that Gentile, the one that Jesus wasn't sent to. Jesus was sent to those lost sheep of Israel. He wasn't sent to the Gentile world, to us. And she comes up and says, Lord, I have a, a girl at home that's sick. Can you please heal her? And he makes a crack. Seems kind of disrespectful to us. He says, I was only sent to this lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and she knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. He just called this woman a dog because she wasn't part of the tribe that he'd come to. But her faith told her this. She said, yes, Lord, but yet the dogs even eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And because of her great faith in the crumbs of the master's table, her daughter was instantly healed, it says. Then Jesus goes out from there and healing more and more. Then he goes and has another feeding incident where he feeds 4,000 people. But then the Pharisees and the Sadducees come. And they're, they're attacking him again. He tells his, his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, but the disciples still haven't quite got it. They're talking, thinking we ran out of bread. But he's talking about these Pharisees. Now, I want to warn you. We, we talk bad about these Pharisees because they're always out against Jesus. But you know who a Pharisee was? They were a lay movement. They were a movement of the blue-collared class in the church. They cared about the spiritual condition that Israel got themselves in because they read their history and they saw what was going on in Jerusalem itself and and throughout the diaspora where all the Jews had been scattered and they weren't living the way that God called them. So they were calling their people back to live the faith that was set out in the Old Testament through the laws and through the teachings. And they developed this religion that would protect their, their faith and so that everyone would have this ritual purity so that they may stand in front of a holy God. Mm-hmm. So they weren't necessarily these bad men. They were men who built a religion for themselves that would get them credit in front of their God. Mm-hmm. And so when Jesus came and said, I, I don't need your sacrifices, I don't need all these things that you bring, says, I need your heart. They didn't want to hear a message of love. Who was this Jesus? Some kind of hippie? I mean, they, they, they after he healed and did all this stuff and all the signs that he did in front of them, and they could not beat him at his own game, so they plotted against him in the cover of darkness to do away with this Jesus of Nazareth. But then the disciples were pulled away. Jesus asked him, who do you say I am? 
And they name all those famous figures of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. But Jesus says, you are the Christ. Mm -hmm. But as soon as that great confession goes, you know, uh, John MacArthur once wrote a story about Peter. said he is the uh, apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. (laughs) He does one thing great, and he shoves his foot right in it right after that. For life is a struggle. We have our victories and we have our defeats. And sometimes it's more of our defeats that, that get in our way. But as I said, God's economy is perfect. Even when we mess up, He can use it for His kingdom, for His glory. And so Jesus tells them about His death and resurrection. And as He tells them, Peter says, you know, Lord, that's not going to happen. We're going to do this. Is that, I got you back. Look, I got this sword right here. We'll take them down. But then Jesus says, as he said before, he told his disciple, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so from there, Jesus takes with him some of his closest confidants, Peter, James, and John, and they head up on the mountain where he is transfigured in front of them. There before their very eyes, they see the Moses and Elijah come. And Peter, not knowing what to say, says, why don't we build some tents and just stay up here? (laughs) Well, the Lord descended to earth for a reason. Though he went up to that mountain, his mission wasn't on that mountaintop, but it was down below in the valley where the people are. He brought his disciples up there so they could see him in his glory and that they might understand the things that he tells them now when they are to take place. But then we get to verse 14. And I'm glad we started at 5.30 because we started 6 over at First Baptist on Sunday night, so I got some more time. (laughs) But then Jesus, uh, in chapter 17, verse 14, tells us this. He says, And when he came down from that mountain, he said, He came to a crowd, and a man came up to him, kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't, could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Amen. Instantly, it says. Amen. And then the disciples... They came to Jesus privately. (laughs) Privately. They don't want to do this in public. So, Lord, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, like a mustard seed, you will say to that mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible without you. I'm going to steal a word from your sermon today. Those disciples down there in the valley, they had gotten that big head because they had been given the authority and the power to heal. And Jesus was with them. And he'd send them out and bring them back in. But now they were just kind of left down there on their own. I don't know how long Jesus was up on that mountain. But they were doing what Jesus tasked them to. And they said, why could we not cast them out? Why did we fail? They said, we had all the right education 
We had all the right experiences. I mean, you, you taught us. We even had a great mentor, Jesus. But we couldn't cast it out. He said we had a great vision of what your kingdom on earth was going to look like. We already packing our bags and move into the temple complex. He said we were ushering it in. We, we, we could not cast it out. Those Pharisees, not so different now. Because those Pharisees were going to protect because we had built it. And then Jesus asked a simple question of faith. In the Gospel of Mark, you'll find the same story in an expanded format. But Matthew captures it here to point it to this simple conclusion. Because you are of little faith. Mm -hmm. So what is faith? You know, faith is not something that we own. It's not something that could be sold. You look in the book of Acts. And Simon the magician wanted to buy some of that mm -hmm. strength that, mm -hmm. that those apostles had. Faith is not something we just say. Faith is not something that we just do. Faithful, that's an adjective, but that's not faith. It's the essence of what faith is. Amen. Faith is not this kind of power that brings us up. You know, Paul talks about the strength. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because he learned the essence of faith. It wasn't Paul's faith in Jesus that got him some kind of bargaining chip before God that gave him the strength. It was Christ himself that lives in him. Amen. So what these disciples had not understood, even though they were given the authority, even though they were given the power to heal in Jesus' name, they didn't realize that it wasn't them. Right. It wasn't the we that could not cast it out, but it was always Jesus yeah. living in the power, instructing them what to do. And Jesus tells them, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain, like a grain of mustard seed, mm -hmm. you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Mm -hmm. And nothing will be impossible for you. But they were of little faith. They believed. Because yeah. they saw with their eyes. They believed who Jesus was. They'd learned who Jesus was. They experienced who Jesus was, but they didn't have a faith that Jesus was in them doing these miraculous deeds. For it was always Christ that was the power. Amen. If Christ tells you to move a mountain, you're going to move it. Amen. I've seen it been moved. Amen. I've seen pastors inspire congregations to move a mountain. You know, I grew up in the South on the tail end of the Jim Crow laws. There was a Baptist pastor named Martin Luther King Jr. I'm thinking you probably heard of him. I think he moved a mountain. Amen. The mountain's not all the way done being moved. Amen. But he moved one. There's others who have moved mountains. Mm -hmm. Just look at the trail of history. You will find Christians who had a faith as little as a grain of mustard, as this mustard seed. And they did move their mountains. We don't need to get wrapped up with this literal understanding here. He's not saying you're going to actually go out and move a mountain. You know, it'd be nice to have some mountains here. You wouldn't have to travel so far to go skiing, right? But we don't have mountains. We have flatlands. Maybe we already moved them away from here. 
But it is Christ who is the faith. Because faith is a relationship. It is not a thing that can be possessed. It is something that has to be developed. And these disciples are learning what faith is. Because Jesus is still with them. He has not yet been glorified in heaven. Because he has not yet given up his life as he tells them over and over will take place. For when he gives up his life, and when he takes it back up and defeats death, and when he sends an advocate, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in us, that is when these disciples get their faith. But right now, they're still struggling between we and Jesus. It is only when Jesus reigns first, when they learn to deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow him, will they have that faith to move mountains. And 12 guys, 12 men after Jesus leaves, one a denier, kills himself. 11 men indeed move mountains that reverberate through time. And as you read these scriptures together, Notice, especially in Matthew, those who should have known, who should have seen Jesus for who he is, constantly are missing out on the Messiah, the Christ. And it is those outsiders that have great faith who see Jesus for who he is during his earthly ministry. And they are instantly healed. Amen. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Amen. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that you have given us the courage to come to your house tonight. Lord, we ask that you give us a faith that can move mountains. We don't want to be like those disciples who are constantly just seeing but never hearing, who have a heart for you is what we desire. For it is not something that we can possess, but it is a relationship that is developed over time. And the closer we get to you, the closer we get to the people that you have created us to be. And it is in your strength that we can do incredible things. Because it was never us in the first place, but it was always you living through us. You chose to use us as your hands and feet in this world. So Lord, we ask as we leave here tonight, you give us strength to our hands. So we may be strong to do your work. And you got our feet down the path so that others may see and hear this good news. It's in your name we pray. Amen.